Uh, but as I stepped back, I was like, you know what? Aren't we all kind of professional observers? Like, I'm a professional observer. I'm on social media. <laughs> I see the pictures. I think, why did this person friend me? And we observe what we see. We observe what we hear. We observe not only on social media, but we're over here having a conversation. <laughs> and we're hearing something else over here. We're observing, hey, this person uh, like has talked about finances, but... But they're walking in with the new purse, or this young person says, "Hey, I have a budget of a, a, a shoestring budget, has to say, but I just bought my new J's." And uh, and we observe certain things. Now, am I the only one? Like, aren't we all kind of observers? And and here's what I struggle with at times. I know that everybody is an observer, but yet I walk around thinking I'm the only one observing others as if I, no one is observing me and what I do, and I can kind of live in secret. We struggle with this, don't we? What if somebody was a paid professional, a paid observer, to observe your life? What if they were sent to observe your life and to say, hey, this person claims to know the gospel message of Jesus Christ, so why don't you observe what a life uh, in love with Jesus and the gospel looks like and report back to me? What would they say? Would they say, oh, this person was raising their hands during worship and singing, and then they left? And here's what a life of worship now looks like. Would they say, hey, this person talks about love. Here's what living out love looks like. Hey, this person is sitting in on a series called Unmasking Average, and here's what an above-average life in Jesus Christ looks like. Would they be able to report back and to say those things? What, what Paul is talking about to Titus is really a, a message throughout this whole thing is, is you know sound truth. Does sound truth, sound thinking lead to sound living? Is there a disconnect there? Or are we growing, are we growing in that? And I think this is a conversation for every stage of life. Whether you're young or whether you're old, whether everything in between, like there's this, con this conversation till we die, did what we know line up with how we live? Paul continues on, and now we're going to be in verse uh, chapter 2 of Titus. He says this in verse 1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Uh, and so if we, our value of pursuing community, here's what I think would really help our community. And I think it's what Paul is getting at right here. You know what would help our community within Wellspring Church and I think the world outside? Is if they saw more godly examples of men and women that can't get enough of God's word and to live like they know God's word. If we did that, this community would get so much better. And the community outside would get so much better if, they, if, we, if we every day uh, lessen the gap. What Paul is talking about here, this sound doctrine, this, this sound uh, living, uh, that can be translated in its most literal form, uh, health instruction. That word health is where we get the word hygiene. And so what Paul is talking about is when we are all, we have all sorts of contamination and when we clean ourselves up to be less contaminated, which then spurs on a growth and, and, uh, and healthy living. So when we understand healthy doctrine, healthy thinking, that should then lead to a healthy spiritual life. So if you can remember three words from the day, here's our big thought, and we're going we're gonna to dig into this. Here's, our, here's three words that I want you to walk away with. Actions, scream, belief. Actions, scream, belief. You don't need a megaphone. 
You don't need to go to Seaside, <laughs> sit on a little soapbox, and tell everybody they're going to burn in hell. <laughs> you don't need a megaphone to tell people what they should believe. <laughs> what you need to do <laughs> is let your life be the megaphone. <laughs> let your actions be the megaphone. I believe in Jesus Christ. Here's what a life that looks like Jesus is lived, how it's lived out. My actions scream and should scream my belief in Jesus Christ. So what Paul is going to do in this text that we're going to look at now for the next few moments is he's going to unpack what this, how this should impact uh, different stages of life or, or different groups of people. The first one is how the gospel should impact the older. He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. And so he's looking at a group of people and saying, you have such value. You have such value as an example to other people. But just because you're older doesn't mean that you've arrived or that you have no room to grow and to be like Jesus. So two things. One, if you're older in this place, you are cherished and we need your godly example. Number two, you, like everybody else, have room to grow. And so when he addresses older men, he says to be sober-minded. That's, that's, that's to say, not given over into intoxication. To avoid uh, such self-indulgence that you can't make wise decisions. And so, ergo, you should be able to make wise decisions and to make good judgments. To be dignified means, means not to be a prude, but also not to be like a Pharisee where you're distancing yourself from unholy people. But it also means that you don't celebrate uh, vulgarity. It means that if there's anything questionable that, or out of balance, that that's not something that you celebrate, that you're going after what is noble and what is good, that you're not just like, well, I'm part of the boys club. No. <laughs> Be around people that don't know Jesus, but don't join in with their undignified state. <laughs> It says to be self-controlled, both in your physical passions and in your rejection of worldly uh, standards. To be self-controlled is this practice of self-denial. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. That older men are should be, to be sound in faith. That means that you're not losing trust in God's goodness. You're not losing faith in his divine plan. That you're persevering. To lose sight of God's goodness. Like If we admit, like, hey, we're a little bit older, guess what that means? you've experienced loss of life. You know what that means? That you've gone to more funerals than the, than the young person can really understand. What it means is you've experienced divorce. What, what it means is, that, is that, you have, that you have gone through, like, and you've seen this article and this article and this article, or, you, or, or you've driven past a, an accident on the road that, that all of a sudden you're like, where is, like the average person would say, where is the goodness of God in all of this? But you and your faith are hanging on to the goodness of God, and that's what it means to be sound in faith. Sound in love, that you love God and you love his people. You love those that don't know him yet. You're willing to sacrifice for those that, that do not know Jesus. You're willing to say, I've held a bitter spirit towards somebody for 30 years. If I'm going to be sound in love, I need to embrace forgiveness like Christ embraced forgiveness with me. To the older in this room, be sound in your example of steadfastness. You've endured persecution. You've endured hardship. You've accepted disappointment. Handle failure well. Do not give in to the pressures that this world throws at you. Your character is not proven in a day. Your character is proven in a lifetime. Keep proving that character of being steadfast. And to the younger women, or to the older women in the room, 
Paul says this, be reverent in your behavior. In the most literal sense, that, that means like to be priest-like. It, it means literally to be temple-fitting. So, so what is there ever, whatever is befitting of a godly person, be that to the women in this room, like, don't be slanderers. And now, like, can I just take a pause here for a second? Because we're all going to feel picked on here throughout the sermon. <laughs> okay, that's what we came up. Okay, whatever. This, I'm not just saying men do this and women do this. There's elements here that we all should cling to, that we all should learn from. Paul is just addressing how we can each be better uh, into a specific group. So it might be a custom that, hey, we need this reminder. These are those reminders. So to not be slanderers, does that not mean that men can or that younger can? No, he's saying that, okay, no, not to be slanderers means that you're not a malicious gossip, that you always have a story to tell, that when you're talking about people, you always have a tale to tell about other people and rarely is it ever good. You're not enslaved in too much mind, mind, which means like you're not given over to an addiction. When life is getting hard, you don't have some coping, unhealthy coping mechanism. And when I thought about like, hey, in that culture, Paul had to address, don't be given over to wine. It reminded me of the meme that we have of older women in our culture. You've seen that meme where the, where the woman has the red glass of wine and it's kind of stirring and she's crying and they make a meme out of it. Well, I mean, that is, that is still true in our day where we, we can't look to something else to escape life's problems. We have to go to Jesus. And Paul says to women, finally, teach what is good. Be that example to others of what cultivating a, a, a radiant life with Jesus looks like. Radi just be a beacon of hope and goodness. Let that be your example to teach to other people. I had a conversation years ago. Whenever I have a conversation with somebody who is older, I walk into it because I'm like, man, you have life experiences that I need to learn from. And so I, I do always try to posture myself as a learner. And so I walk into this one conversation thinking that I'm going to learn so much. And really what I learned was like what not to become. Uh, and so I'm, I'm walking in like, you know how people want to tell you about their, their like family, life, wife, kids, things of that nature. This person's like, oh, I got, I got, I forget how many kids, but let's say three kids. And, uh, but this one is my favorite. And I was like, ah, like, cause you people say that, but like, you're, you always like, you're joking, like you don't mean that. And, uh, and he's like, no, like I know people say not to have favorites, but I do. Uh, and I tell my kids that I have favorites and they just know I spend more money and spend more time with said kid. Uh, and they just know it, they have to accept it. It is, it is what it is. And I was like, give me the popcorn. Like I am here for this. And, uh, and then they moved on and they were just, hey, talking about life and church and whatnot. And this person was like, well, I went to this church and Literally said, this church wasn't meeting my needs anymore. Uh, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and then I went to this church, wasn't meeting my needs anymore. Went to this church, wasn't meeting my needs anymore. Went to this church, wasn't meeting my needs anymore. And I was like, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, and so I paused. I, didn't, I wasn't like the time to kind of give advice or to be like, all right, here's what's stupid about what you're saying. Uh, it wasn't like that type of a conversation. But I was like, have you ever thought about like serving your church or like building God's kingdom through the church? And literally there was like this pause, like this step back and was like, whew, never really thought about that. And I was like, well, okay. I, I, thankfully, like, I think in that moment, like I hid my face because normally I'm not really good at that. But I, have you ever thought about like serving God's kingdom? You think about Moses for a second. If you're older, think about Moses for a second. The best years of ministry came when he was how old? 80. <laughs> and so... I have great news for everybody in this room. If you are close to 80, you are entering the prime of your ministry life based off of Moses' example. So retirement is not 
The golden years of life, here's how we should see it. The golden years of ministry. So to those older in this room, here's what I want to challenge you with. I'm challenging you to serve. I'm challenging you to be that person that, that holds babies and nurtures a baby while, while other parents can be in this room and, and, and take in what's going on. I challenge you when no one else wants to serve in the parking lot to be the one serving in the parking lot because there's nothing beneath you. I challenge you not just to attend a life group or attend on a Sunday morning, but ask, like, how can I serve God's kingdom and build, God, build, build God's kingdom through the local church? That's my challenge specifically to you. And if you're sitting there being like, Jason, if you're going to challenge me, you better challenge other people. Well, just buckle up. Here's where we go. Uh, the gospel impact on younger people, um, younger people in the room. How can our actions scream our belief? Here's what he says. So train the younger to love their, the younger women to love their husbands uh, and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at the home. Now, before you throw stones at me and send your complaints uh, to Graham at wellspring.1, uh, roll your sleeves back down. Uh, we're going to get into this, okay? Uh, uh, to end, uh, to at home, to be kind, submissive again. We'll get into that. Send your complaints to Graham uh, and to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be revival or reviled. Uh, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects, not just some, to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that the opponent, uh, so that an opponent may be put to shame, not having anything evil to say about us. So how, what does he start with, with younger women? Love your husbands. Love your wives. It's a word, the type of word there for love would, would be to love like Jesus loves. Do you know how Jesus loves? Not based on anything we have done. Jesus doesn't love us when we become worthy of love. Jesus loves us just because. And so your husband may not be worthy of your love. Will you love him because it's Christ-like? Your kids might be a delinquent train wreck. Will you love them to be Christ-like in that? Now, why does Paul say to a woman to, to love children specifically? Because aren't women by nature nurturing? By nature, wouldn't, wouldn't that seem like it comes natural? But what Paul is talking about here, yes, like that is what, what is natural, but to go next level as a godly woman where action, scream, belief is to nurture your children and cultivate godly uh, affection, godly character, to not only love where they are kept safe and not only love where you have the perfect Pinterest board, but to love them to the point where Jesus radiates through them. To be self-controlled is to, is to use common sense and not give, in, give over the, give, in, give in to the emotions of the day. Emotions are fleeting. You're using good judgment and you're trying to take a step back to be patient and to find Jesus through your emotions. To be pure is to, to reflect God's character and to show the world what a life surrendered over to Jesus is. And yes, Paul says, working at the home. And I know TV shows gone past. I know generations gone past would condemn women for working outside the home. But there are, there is the way that this is written has similar, if not the same words used in Proverbs 31 that talks about an industrious woman who is to be honored and to be cherished. 
What Paul is getting at here is that you and I, if we work outside the home, but now specific to women, that the woman that is working outside the home would never neglect her husband, would never neglect uh, her family, would never neglect her home. It's never an either or. It must always be a both and. If you will, if you are to work outside the home, that's fine. It's 2022. That's a necessity, but not to the neglect of one's home and one's family. Paul says to be kind to the younger women, to be Christ-like, to be gentle, to be considerate, to be sympathetic. And yes, Paul urges women to be submissive to their own husband. If I can say a few things about that before you send your complaints to Graham, uh, to your own husband, which means men, we cannot look around to women, all women, and act like kings. No. To be submissive to your own husband, not everybody's husband. To your own husband. Where do we see submission first modeled in Scripture? It's in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's when you have three in one. It's where you have, when you have this level of equality, but yet you also have this level of submission where one yields its, his will or her will to another. What, what Christ is asking through the pages of Scripture, through Paul, is that, is that there were in the home that there would be one that would yield their will to another. And in the religious sense, we see yielding. You, you see that in religion, 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 where I yield because I have to. I do because I have to. I don't want to, but I have to. I have to. I have to. We promote and we share that Jesus Christ died for us and that we get to have what? A relationship with him. In a love relationship where I am loved by another, I don't have to do a darn thing. But I get to. Because I'm so loved by the person across the table. And so to the women in this room, if you are not in a marriage that where the husband understands Philippians 2, and that Christ himself did not come to be served, but to serve. And that sort of sacrificial love, the type of love where that person is pursuing you with love, 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 sacrificial love, where it is not your joy to yield your will to him. I am sorry, because that is the ideal. And so Paul does not say, oh, let's address younger women and neglect younger men. No, younger men, now you should roll up your sleeves. <laughs> because here's the type of character that is needed in a man who leads his home. That they would be first self-controlled, level-headed. If your kids or your wife or anybody at work has to walk around your home like they are on eggshells, as to say, then you are not self-controlled. <laughs> That you would be able to, to, to know what is, what is worth fighting for, to know what is, what is, hey, I'm, I, you know, I was just given over to the, to the passion of the moment. That it's never an excuse for the man of God to do whatever the heck they would like. That is not an excuse. To be a model of good works in what? All areas. Not just to be the model Christian while you're at church but to be the model Christian while you're in your car on your way home, to be the model Christian when you're at work, to be the model Christian before you go to bed or, and when you wake up and everything in between, that there is consistency in your love for Jesus Christ, that when you teach, 
when you teach your family, when you teach even in your coworkers or within the church, that there is this level of consistency because you have integrity. What you are saying lines up with what you are doing. Why? Because actions scream belief. When you teach, you are living a life of dignity. We said that to older men, but let me pause and, and say, here's what dignity means. A state or quality of being what? Worthy of honor or respect. If we asked your mom, if we asked your wife as, as an observer in your life, would they describe somebody worthy of respect? Their sound teaching, their sound speech, do you curse like a sailor? Do you speak to your wife that you would then fight somebody else if they spoke to your wife like that? If, if I'm honest, uh, the, the cursing like a sailor thing, not so much how I speak to my wife, but that is the struggle for me, if I'm honest. Is it bad in, in comparison to the world? No, I'm a pretty good person in comparison to the world. But Jesus has never asked me to compare myself to the world. When I compare myself to Jesus Christ... How I speak sometimes is an area that I need to work on. And lastly, Paul says to the younger people, fight evil with what? Your excellence. That you're fighting for the excellent th thing. That you're a younger person. You want to fight for purpose. You want to fight for passion. Great, fight, be a fighter. But God has never asked you to fight as a bully. Are you fighting for your marriage? Are you fighting like a Pharisee who put Jesus on the cross? Or are you fighting like Jesus who willingly went to the cross to die for all of humanity? Now, recently, uh, this, it was, well, this, isn't, this part isn't recent. Probably ever since I was able to preach a sermon on, on a Sunday, or ever, every time I was ever to preach a sermon, I usually get done, and, and every, not every Sunday, but at least multiple times a month, somebody will ask me, are you on crack? Uh, and I get that. They're like, I want your energy. Probably the most common thing is I want to bottle up your energy and take it home. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. Uh, and, and somebody was like, uh, said to Ava like a few weeks ago, like, whatever pill he takes, I want that pill. And, uh, and, and asked her then, like, does he act like this at home? And she was like, no, he's nothing like this at home. And inside I was like, ah, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. Because it's super important to me to be the man that I am here, to be the man in all areas of my life. And so I really sat back and said, like, is that, like, do I need to change, change something? And I was like, no, like, how do I view a Sunday morning? I view Sunday morning as we're coming to do battle. Like, there are so many lies in this world, and I get the honor of standing before you to preach the word of God. And so we're doing battle to say, you know what, here's all the lies we've heard, and we're going to come together to say this is truth. And we're going to fight the lies with truth. And we're going to say, evil uh, devil, be gone. We're going to cling to truth. I think that we're doing battle. Everything I've said up till this point is us doing battle. Are we going to bend our wills to God? Or are we going to ask him to bend his to ours? There's battle, battle, battle. And I thought about, like, I, I love to battle. I love to compete. And so how do I compete? Whenever I run a triathlon or a race or whatever I do, I have certain practices. And so some of my practices is, yeah, on a Sunday morning, because I treat it the same way, I chug 32 ounces of cold brew. Uh, and so that's part of like, cold brew helps. Uh, before each sermon, I eat a, a, a protein cookie, 250 calories. Uh, in my, I drink a lot of water. And oftentimes in my water, I'll put one of these noon tabs, which is electrolytes, uh, which is like electrolytes in my, in my water. But I also do that when I race. 
And then you'll sometimes see me when I remember to bring it is I bring uh, electrolyte gum. Uh, Scott Petresky showed me this and this is gold. It's available at dicks.com. Uh, and so you can get this and I, and I take a piece of gum and I chew it up uh, while we're doing worship and then I put it in my pocket and what in the wrapper. It's not like, eh, okay. Uh, but that, those are my practices before a sermon. Why? Because I really feel like I'm coming to do battle. I treat this like the same way I would do another competition. And so I really am, I'm not that different. Like I'm different at home, but I'm not different when it comes to how I handle battles. It's the same t- everything I'm doing right here are things that I tell, I don't give my kid cold brew, but I tell my kid to do much of the same thing when he goes to compete. So to address the young men in this room, are you fighting for the right things? In all my counseling, I've never had somebody uh, come up to me that was modeling the Philippines to nature, that Jesus came in all humility to this earth, not to be served, but to serve and give himself up as a ransom and a sacrifice to other people. I've never had anybody in counseling at any point come to me perfectly modeling that and and say, Jason, could you ask my wife to be submissive? But I have had plenty of people that would expect their wives to be that old school thing of like, when I come home, she better be in an apron and there better be a warm meal on on the table. Well, this better, or I better, all the dishes or the laundry or this, that. Your wife, Jesus, did not die to make you God and your wife a slave. Jesus gave himself up for us men so you could model that sacrifice. To say, this is the one woman that I will die and do anything for. You've met my wife. Could you imagine if I looked at her and said, hey, I know it's been a long day. Where's my food? Can I get a warm meal, please? Long time on the couch for this homeboy. But... Addressing men and whatnot. I, I want to address all people here for a second. I, I was chewing on this a little bit with Grant. I was like, okay, like when we talk about character, when we talk about like the gospel living out, like, like where could we kind of talk about all, all people with a broad stroke to kind of bring a challenge? And we were talking and I was like, man, like I love talking to younger people about money and helping them learn from Ava and I's mistakes and how to have like healthy practices that like g- make their way throughout all of life. And like here are some, some of the things that we've experienced. Like we've experienced that same person that like doesn't have any money to their name, but is spending like $100 on like Crocs or, uh, or, or Jordan shoes. And it's like, you, you, don't, you don't see the disconnect there. Uh, or, or that person like doesn't have a, a dime to their name, but they're driving a car that they pay $400 a month for. Or, or, or that person is like, I just really wanted ice cream, but I didn't want to go out. So I door dashed it and I paid fees and I paid a tip and you know how much that ice cream cost me? True story. $18 for an ice cream cone. And you don't know why you don't have money. Let me paint the picture for you. The same, a different, or a person that said, I have this streaming service for, for um, videos. I have this streaming service, this streaming service. And then music, I have this, this, and this. And I'm like, you're spending over $100 a month, a month to stream your stuff. Are you listening to Spotify and Apple Music at the same time? I don't get it. And so we 
made one video streaming service and one uh, music service, and you know how much it saved in that young person's budget per month? Over $100. So to the young people in this room, living out the gospel is not looking at the older generation to be the one to support the kingdom of God. It's saying, I can give sacrificially just like anybody else. So here's my challenge to you. We have a food fund. We'll talk about it at the end. We have a food fund. This month, we're trying to raise $15,000. We're currently at $10,500 so that on December 4th, we can give $15,000 to our community in $50 ShopRite gift cards. I'm challenging you to put some subscriptions or pause or to say, I will not DoorDash $18 ice cream for one month, and I will give that $50 to have make sure one person gets that $50 gift card. Now, the other group that Paul addresses here are those in the workforce. He says the bond servants, and now a bond servant like that, we're talking about slaves here, but it's a specific type of slave. In the Old Testament, you would get done your, your, your slave duty, to kind of put it like that, your time as a slave, and you could make the choice to willfully be a slave under a person. If your master was so good, you would go to your master and say, I want to be your slave for life. They would bring you to the door, and they would put a nail through your ear to mark you as that person's slave for life. It was something that you willfully put yourself under another. And so that's why we liken this to the workforce. You are to be submissive to your own, uh, to their own masters and everything. Uh, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentatively, not pilfering, but showing uh, all good faith in everything they may what? Adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So you willfully put yourself under somebody else. You have a job. Christ is on display at your job. So what should you do? Paul says you should be well-pleasing, that you should be committed to excellence, that you are a hardworking person, no matter who your boss is, that you are to be hardworking and pleasing uh, to your job and to another person, that you're not to be argumentative. That's kind of like it's hard to be argumentative and submissive and well-pleasing at the same time. That, you, that you're not just to speak bad about your boss. That you're not supposed to belittle that person with other people. Not to be pilfering, which means like that age-old thing, like I'm not stealing company time. I'm not stealing company product. I'm not embezzling or stealing. I, I, I am a good citizen, if you will, at my job. That I would have a good faith at my job. And good faith in this context is somebody who is loyal. Somebody who is not looking to betray their boss when everybody else wants to talk bad about the boss or do, do the boss dirty, that you don't join in. And what does Paul say when we live like this in our jobs? That Christ would be adorned. It's like wearing Christ. It's like taking what you believe about God's word and actions speak belief. You're wearing what you believe all over yourself as you, as you work in your job. And so the hardest place to do this, I, I would hope, I guess would be a secular job, a place that, where that people don't claim, uh, cling to the name of Jesus. I hope this would be easier uh, in the church, but I guess sometimes that probably isn't the case. But you all have a mission field. If you, if you have a job and you don't work in a church, you all have a mission field every single day when you work your 40 plus. You have a mission field. And so when I was thinking about this, I was like, Laura, uh, Laura Milan uh, is somebody who works for government. And you think government is like a great place to work? Uh, and so she does. And she, she texted me. I was like, how, what is it like? Like, what have you learned? She gave me 12 things. So if you don't, if you work in a secular job or if you're under somebody's authority, here are 12 things from Laura that she says that we should all work on when we want to be a gospel-centered person. She says, number one, don't engage in gossip. 
Treat everyone with the same courtesy and respect as I would the boss. Uh, be willing to help out uh, when needed. Say, hey, there is nothing beneath me. Give others uh, who have been there longer. Even if I'm older, but they've been here longer, I'm going to give them uh, the right away. I'm going to help my uh, clients uh, problem solve. And in her mind, that was, I'm going to go above and beyond even what the job asks. I'm going to own up when I screw up. I'm never going to betray a confidence. Uh, eight, uh, if I have conflict with somebody, I'm going to have a private com uh, conversation even with my boss. I'm going to help mediate other, uh, other misunderstandings. Number 10, I'm going to pray and show respect even to my boss. 11, she said, I'm going to keep, uh, I'm going to be on time. I'm going to keep a good work area. I'm going to give others credit when it's due. And lastly, I'm, not, I'm unwilling to hide the fact that I am a Christian. I'm going to be willing to have uh, spiritual conversations and not be uh, obnoxious about it. So in your work, how can you adorn Christ? Here's one way. You're a Christian. Here's my challenge to you in, in the workforce. My thought in this is that you've probably screwed up at some point. I have. You have. We all have, right? And so when I, and I'm, and I'm sorry goes a very long way. And so my challenge to you in the workforce is to, even if you are only like a little bit wrong and your boss or a coworker is like wildly wrong, that if there's going to be anybody to start with an I'm sorry, unconditional and I'm sorry, I hope it would be the Christian. And so I challenge you in the workforce to simply say, I'm sorry. What have we said? It's that we've said actions scream belief. What, what have we said? We've looked at older people, we've looked at younger people, and we've looked at the workforce. I want to end with a story about uh, uh, St. Francis uh, Assisi, uh, who was a friar. He says this. He says that one day uh, he looked at a student of his, uh, an understudy, and said, come, let us go down uh, to the village and preach uh, to the people who are in need of our Savior. And so they went down, and at the, uh, once they got to the gate, they stopped. They bent down to speak kind words to a crippled old man, and they gave him a cool drink of water and a few coins. They saw some children playing uh, with a ball out in the field. And so they went out and they joined their game and they had some fun with the children. And while they played with the children, they saw this lonely widow watching from a doorstep that drew them, their attention to her. And when they finished the game, they visited with her, bringing her a few kind words of cheer and encouragement as she was living alone. From there, they saw a fearful young man who lurked in the shadows, ashamed of what he had done the night before. They prayed with him. They spoke with him openly and freely about forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And they encouraged him to pursue a more productive future. And on the way out of town, they stopped at a small store, and they greeted a merchant and asked him about his family and thanked him for his faithful work throughout the years. And finally, St. Francis uh, said, let's go back. And the young novice, the understudy, stopped and said, but wait, when do we preach? And the older friar answered, every step we took, every word we spoke, every action we did has been our sermon. I preach a sermon every single Sunday, most Sundays. But we all walk out of here preaching a sermon. Every step you're taking, don't be fooled. People are watching you. What do they see? What do they see as it relates to the gospel message of Jesus Christ? There will always be cynical people. There will always be people that are looking at you just to find fault. Guess what? They're going to find it. <laughs> but will they see in us people that, hey, as you can find fault in me, guess what? I know there's fault in me. <laughs> but here's what I'm going to display. Someone willing to own it and get better.
What do they see in you? And what will you do about it? So here's my challenge to you is that you were given a, a card on the way in. It's a blank slate. Because here's what I was convicted with as we were preparing for this sermon is that if there is a disconnect between uh, gospel truth and, and a life lived out with the gospel and my own life, that that disconnect is true for everybody in this room. And a mark of maturing, the mark of growing in your faith is when you can self-identify that and challenge yourself to be better. So a few challenges already in this sermon, but here's my final challenge. Write your own. I've said plenty today and I'm shutting up, don't worry. But what's convicted you by the power of the Holy Spirit? As we sing this last song, Living Proof, would you consider writing something down, challenging yourself to leave here and not just be better? That's not necessarily the goal. The goal is to be more like Jesus. So challenge yourself. Would you stand and would you sing with me?